life is a mess and you're totally stressed out just call trend just call trend when your wife is cold as ice and you need some advice just call trend just call trend he'll shoot it straight and he won't say no He'll just give you that advice and say, well, there you go. Thanks for doing this, Tom. Um, hey, thank you, Trent, for asking me. Yeah, it's I really appreciate it. It's a thrill to do a podcast with a guy with a name like Trent, what's Marbury? Trent Marbury, right? <laughs> Maybury. Maybury, like Mayberry. Yeah, a That's little all. bit. Yeah. Maybury, detective. Exactly. I mean, it's perfect noir. It's so noir. <laughs> Maybe noir, Steve. All right. Anyway, exactly. Yeah. Close. Great. Close enough. Yeah, I wish I had a name like that. <laughs> no, I like Tom Leopold. That's a good name, yeah. too. That's all right. So, where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in Miami. I grew up in, in Coral Gables, right in Miami, South Miami. Mm-hmm. Born down there. So strange to be from there. Well, people yeah. used to think it was stranger than maybe they do now, because you know, what's strange now, you know? Exactly. Where's the barometer, you know? <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like growing up in the tropics. You know, it's hot, horribly hot. Yeah. I had terrible asthma, so you know, people we have mango fights. <laughs> Walked to school. It, it was so hot all the time that my. Uh, by the time I left the house and got to the corner, my shirt would be soaked. Oh, really? Wow. School, and back in my day, 1941, <laughs> no, they, no air, the school started to get air conditioned just as I was in high school. They, mm-hmm. in Miami, they would have would have been a law, which is why I can't read. <laughs> I can just write. I have to have well, that, that's yeah. all you really need. Yeah, yeah. And um, my mother kept the house so cold. It was freezing. It was just yeah. not, I mean, really. Um, we'd open the door on my other go, you're letting the cold out, you know. <laughs> so well, I'm in I'm in New York right now. There, you know, there's no I gotta have an air conditioner in, but the 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 heat's on right now and I you can't control that either. So it's, it's oh, oh, yeah, steaming yeah, yeah. steaming hot in my room. <laughs> well, I live there too. Out here out here in Connecticut. I have I have many home, you know, I, I keep rooms in a lot every state. Just <laughs> in, case, in case my train, my plane gets, you know, delayed or something. Yeah. No, no, not really. Not every. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up down in Miami, and I, I I came up to acting school when I was seventeen. But then I want to hear the rest about you, the rest of the show. All right. Yeah. We'll, know, right? <laughs> we'll get to sure. me. Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But uh, so you, you, yeah, you wanted to be. An... <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. You wanted to be an actor yeah, before yeah. before you realized you wanted you got into the comedy writing and stuff, right? Comedy writing just was kind of accidental but yeah well you know you think i want to go yeah just figure he'd just go be an actor i mean i wanted to be in showbiz mm-hmm. i really wanted since i was like seven just to be in that magical tv part of it or movies or you know i just so you figure actor i don't know i'm be a cinematographer i didn't know what that was or anything right. but no so yeah and i did school plays and all that stuff in local theater and mm-hmm. And then I auditioned for NYU's acting program. They just had started making this acting program. And they were pulling kids from college kids from uh, Carnegie Tech, it was called. And now it's Carnegie Mellon. Or, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I'm, uh, 
So I was 17 and I went and auditioned and got in and and I went to New York at 17 and started acting school. And really it was just this place on Second Avenue with juggling in it, you know, acting school, you know. Right. But it was right at the time, I mean, it was, I'd never really been away from home, mm -hmm. really. I was so nervous, you know, it's the height of the hippie thing. It was 67, so I mean, it's really like, as soon as I put my bags down, I said, we gotta go up to Columbia and throw the dean out of a window. You know, <laughs> go, what? What do you, you know? Right. You know, I'm happy with the dean. I wasn't going there, but so anyway, <laughs> that's where I met. Like first day, I met Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon from mm -hmm. Spinal Tap and everything else. Yeah, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So they were, had been to college already. They were 19, and I was just coming from high school. So that's a big difference, you know, at that age. Right. And I tell you, I, I, and it sounds self-aggrandizing, uh, but if I don't aggrandize, I'll have to bring some people in. <laughs> no, uh, my <laughs> aggrandizer is, is, was deported. <laughs> but, but I hadn't realized how funny I had become from sitting in the, getting kicked out of class and being the mm -hmm. class clown and all that until I met these two guys. And we started, it was like a kind of a magical thing you know it's like right musicians and all out you know band you know and they were two years older so I was, but i saw how funny they were and i was making them laugh like oh god mm -hmm. funny you know and um so i've known those guys since then you know that's great yeah so yeah and then the acting school and um tell me when you want to go to another direction or <laughs> sure so uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're doing the acting school, and then you you got yeah. on some TV shows. You got on Gunsmoke, and yeah. Well, I, way ahead. Well, they wanted to hold me back at acting school, and I don't know if that's anyone's ever been threatened with that before me. <laughs> right. You know, it's like imagine having to, you know, and what has came up on my screen? Toilet teens. No, that's <laughs> well, that's an accident. Um, the, they wanted to hold me back in acting school. They didn't think I was any good. Really? And, yeah, yeah. And I thought, what am I going to tell my father? You know, they're holding me back in acting. It's like being <laughs> held back, you know, at like, you know, I don't know what. Like, <laughs> but I said, you can't hold me back because I had been, I got an agent right away and I got cast in a, an off Broadway, an important off Broadway play at 19. Oh, really? came kind of a sensation. Mm -hmm. So I said, you can't hold me back. I'm going to be opening at the Cherry Lane Theater. <laughs> you, know? you know? And yeah. I've been really never been out of show business. Never had a job really out of show business. And the writing thing all came about. Um, one day Chris says, look, I, I know these guys in this magazine. And I met them and they, and they said, if we had, you know, could come up with an idea for this magazine. The National Lampoon, which of course was very mm. big, right? You know, it was really a hip thing, and so he says, "But you know, we got to do it together." And I said, "Okay." So we, but he said, "I said, well, how much time?" Is well, no, we got to go up there now. <laughs> oh, okay. So on the subway, we made up this idea about a guy who go. We total bullshit idea. We can I can I say bullshit? Oh yeah, go for it. All right, can I uh, can I say rhino clit? 
<laughs> yeah, you yeah, can right, say anything you want. I want to know the parameters yeah. where I can go. Um, so on the way up, we made this up this idea for a story called You've Gotta Believe Me, about a guy who goes to his home back to his hometown re- high school reunion, and everyone in at the high school has legs of a gnat. You know, everybody in the town, his mother has gnat legs, and this great artist did a thing of a, mm-hmm. a mother with an apron holding cookies with gnat legs, you know, <laughs> bug-like legs. And uh they liked it. Yeah. So we ended up started writing articles for the National Lampoon magazine, 19, 20, you know. So so you went there, you pitched that to like Doug Kenny or Doug Kenny and Henry Beard. Mm-hmm. Hey well, Henry's still around. You know, these guys were all a college graduate, you know. This is you know, but um they liked us. We liked them and Henry Beard, Doug Kenny, Sean Kelly, who passed me, Doug. His grave is here in Connecticut, another town. Oh, really? And I went and visited that. Yeah. Weird story. A friend of mine who is a, I wouldn't say, she's not a psychic, but she's very religious and very, in, in, you know, like gets a lot of visitations from, mm-hmm. but not like, she's Catholic. So it's not like it's, you know, she's on, on Planet Vortex or something like that. There is no Planet Vortex. <laughs> Play along, play along with it. <laughs> and uh, she said, I get, she's, this, oh, it's a long story, but it's a sort of a supernatural story. If you want well, to no, I'm interested in hearing it. Okay, all right, you tell me now if it's going off the, you know, and the quality gets really below a certain level. <laughs> give me one of these. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, these. yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Don't let, you know, give me like a sign, like a baseball. <laughs> a minute, give me this, give me one of exactly, these. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, now I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, my friend uh, who I met when I, did, I ran this show in, in, I worked in London a bunch and I ran this show in London and uh, I, her name is Mary uh, O'Regan and she wanted to interview me when I got over to London to do to run this sitcom called My Family, which is a huge sitcom and they had an American guy created it who I knew and mm-hmm. I came and ran it for a, a season or a series, they call it, they don't call it a season. Right. Like eight, 12 shows, you know, it's great. Uh, the other stuff you do with, you know, 28 shows. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Living in a tunnel, <laughs> the writers, the actors, it's great life for actors. Right. You know, but anyway, um, yeah, she interviewed me and I just thought it was going to be some weird Irish lady for some little thing. But anyway, uh, I said, why did you pick me? She's well, I, my friend was suicidal. And so I'd have to go over to her house every night. And every night we would watch Cheers, to, not Cheers, Seinfeld together. Mm-hmm. Cheers to, and I would see your name. And I, she's very devout Catholic, beautiful lady, good friend of ours. And she says, I started praying that you would convert to, to Catholicism. Because I figured, oh, everybody's going to be Jewish right now. So <laughs> I, I said, yeah, right. You're right. And the joke is, um, I had already converted from Judaism to Catholicism. Oh, really? Before she even, that's what I mean. She's like like that, you know? Yeah. Totally, strangely, which is a whole other story of a kind of a supernatural order involving one of my children being ill and kind of a spiritual, super, little supernatural things began happening to me. And I was never deep... Uh, very proud to be Jewish, still am. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really don't get funny enough if you're not, you know, it's just <laughs> word of the wise. But uh, you do. Go, Gentile comedy, 
funny people is a whole other kind of thing. Though. Like, <laughs> yeah. Chase is, you know, it's not a Jew, you know. Right. <laughs> waspy, waspy funny guys is a whole other thing, you know. Yeah. It's great. That's why in it, when you put together a room, a comedy room, you want all these different players, like a shortstop. You want people who can do what you can't do, you know, and have another air angle. Just whatever gets you to your car earlier. Exactly. Yeah, the earliest, yeah. Morning, right. So anyway, um, well, I was, anyway, the, the Doug Kenny thing came about. Uh, it was a big story in this big Catholic newspaper. And anyway, we became friends. And she called me, and she was very plugged into the commander, you know? Mm -hmm. And she called me and she said, I keep having these weird experiences with Doug Kenny. Did you know him? I said, slightly. I mean, I worked for him. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I knew him slightly. I could say, hey, Doug. And he would say, right. you know, whatever it is. But um, he says, well, I keep getting these things that he wants Chevy Chase to go to Harvard Square in Harvard and hear this chorus. It was on Christmas time. It'll really make Chevy feel better. Because they were yeah, they were very very close. Yeah. I'm sure your you and your your audience probably maybe knows all that old history and stuff. But I mean that movie was pretty good about the uh, oh yeah movie. yeah. So I said okay. I mean I I said all right. I'll ask him. And Jeffy's a good friend of mine. And, mm -hmm. and they said no, but I told me the story. And they they didn't go. But anyway, she said I keep getting so now Doug Kenny want you to visit his grave. And uh, so it turns out he was a, just like a 10 minute drive from where we live. Oh, really? Yeah, and when I went over there and I don't know. Interesting. You can cut a lot of this out. <laughs> no, I- <laughs> Chapo, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. <laughs> You're a little off the sides, my friend. Okay. <laughs> well, you well, mentioned whatever. Chevy Chase, who was one. Right? Yeah, that was very interesting. You mentioned Chevy Chase, who's one of my yeah. my comedy idols, one of my favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and he kind of gave you your first big writing job, right? Yes, he, he did. He, well, yeah, it was his biggest writing job, absolutely, because he was the, just become the biggest star in the country, like overnight. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and. Um, I don't mean to be boastful in these stories, uh, Trent Mabry. No, boast away. That is really your name. <laughs> Trent Mabry. It's like a name you'd make up real quick. <laughs> Get out of trouble. What's your name? Trent Mayberry. Mabry. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, about Chevy. Um, well, I met Chevy. This is, you know, we knew, he knew Chris Gass because they had actually shared a rented a house together in LA like before even when before Chevy got famous and right kind of this world and we knew from the land yeah, he, he all, did a little na national and Harold Raymond all the guys you know so anyway I was at a Chris and I went to uh and I went to a party after Saturday Night Live you know like this is the first season mm -hmm. it's all a big deal at Dan Aykroyd's uh, loft and I'm sitting over the side and on a couch and just having a drink and Chevy Chase comes over and by now he's the you know the heart comedy heartthrob of America right. Right? handsome and real funny and uh sits next to me and he goes he just waits a minute and he goes I hear you're the funniest guy and I said and I just took it in you know and I said yeah 
<laughs> I didn't try to be funny or anything. Yeah. I just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he thought that was hilarious. And I just said, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm not trying to, you know, to prove it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and anyway, so a little while after that, I get a call. And I think this is a funny story. People seem to like it. Um, the I get a call from Chevy Chase. He says, "Look, I got it. I I'm leaving Saturday Night Live, and then let me out. I have to write do a special TV special. Mm -hmm. We called them in those days, just an hour comedy thing, right? One off, you know. But I, and I want you to write on it. But I only want you to write on it if what I heard you said to someone, you actually said. I said, okay, fair enough. What did I say? He says, well, I was I was doing a play in Boston, mm -hmm. and my friend Chris's sister actually, I've known since fourteen, wanted to come up and see me, see me in the play and, and stay in my apartment that I had rented mm -hmm. up in Boston. And I, she says, well, yeah. I, I said, great. She says, yeah, come on, uh, I'll come too. I'll stay two or three days. I said, stay two. <laughs> and yeah, it was pretty funny. I mean, yeah. I, he says, did you say that? I go, yeah. He goes, okay, so I want you to write on. And I ended up writing a, a good amount of it, plus being on a lot of it. With yeah. Um, but I learned, and you're a comedy guy. Um, yeah. I've done my research. Uh, <laughs> and the Mabry, Mabry <laughs> Meteor, that is me. Comedy <laughs> Meteor. The comedy Meteor, ladies. You know. um, <laughs> but I learned, that was a very, I learned a lot from that. And in, uh, in that, especially later when I started doing all these sitcoms and I was in charge and I'd have to hire writers or, you know, run a room or mm -hmm. you find that you don't have to go through the whole script. You know, you get a pile of spec scripts and, and all you need is like one thing, one joke. And, right. And like, oh, I see who this fucking guy is. Yeah. You know, what I mean? you know like exactly. I, uh, I remember going through the living room once when my daughters were watching a sitcom it was it was funny. And I forget what it was. Married with Children, maybe, or something. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I don't know. But uh, I heard one joke as I'm passing by. And usually, they're all terrible. Right? Yeah. They're most of them. And I stopped and go, oh, I just like that. Now, whoever wrote that joke, I'd like to know that guy or girl. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, I, I should know them if they're going to write a joke like that. Yeah, you know I mean? absolutely. And it's funny, but anyway, but but I learned that from Chevy that that it's silly and funny, but it's but it does it's not even that great a joke. It's just it's an attitude, you know. Right, you can tell who the yeah. It was sarcastic yeah. attitude, and that's what Chevy was all about. You know? Right. Yeah, kind of impish, kind of hand, you know, funny a Cary Grant that just would also just fall down and exactly you know, yeah. Look at the camera lens and stuff. So I learned a lot. Of, that was an interesting, smart thing. Like, you know, in other words, you, you don't have to uh, eat the entire garbage can. You know? Right. Yeah. You can. It's it's, it's the same way in like stand up where I'll yeah. see like a guy in a club and you can tell by his first or second joke. OK, right. this guy's got something or not. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, though, uh, years ago, I was hanging out at Catch a Rising Star with Belzer and Paul Schaefer and I was my best, dearest friend. Yeah. Um, you'd see these comics, and, and really, we would just go to get high with Belzer, <laughs> go down to the with the owner of the place, smoke 
and then only Belzer would MC. And Belzer was right. a fan comic, you know. He wasn't. Yeah, he's one of the, the top guy. For munch. Him, yeah. He wasn't just Munch. I mean, yeah. You know, which is great that he was Munch. But um, so, but I would see him introduce people, and that's what, and, and I'd see a couple of their lines. And then some nights you would think, this guy, that guy's not going anywhere. And then the next night you might see him another time. And oh, like everybody's yeah. got something. Right, exactly. Yeah. Everybody's that's got true. something. And you might not see it. That night, especially because young, you know, you guys are. It's a hard, hard ass job. Now, w w did you ever do stand up? Well, I, uh, I, I, Belzer, who because he is in charge of Catch Rice Arms, says, "Look, just do it. Come on, write some things and come on, and I'll just see if you want to do it." Mm -hmm. And I always kind of liked the idea of being. I mean, I would go act. I was still at this point going back and forth from acting to and did all these gun smoking manics and all big parts and all these things, you know, right. Broadway, off Broadway and all that stuff. But um, I kind of started liking being that guy. You let if let Chevy Chase it. I don't mm -hmm. you know. I'd rather writing. I'm like, ah, oh, this is really what I'm good at. Yeah. You know, and also I, you know, there's something, there's a nice kind of pride in, you knocked that my line out of the park, you know. You can you can, you can listen, you know. So, um, but I did put together some jokes, and nobody laughed. But really, they, but they paid full attention. Yeah, like they didn't lose it. And I thought, you know, I, um, now I, I mean, I would have learned quickly that I got to write every word of a really nice, tight thing and make it look like I'm just fucking around. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't think that. I, you know, I, I wrote some jokes. You know, I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, my impression of Buddy Holly coming home after school." Hi, mom. I'm mom. I'm home. home, home. <laughs> Who's stupid? And they, you know, kind of like, yeah. And uh, I don't remember what else I did. Yeah. But I knew I could maybe be okay at it. Um, but I didn't trust that lifestyle. I mean, I didn't want to. Be there too. I was enough. There's you know, enough temptation around, and, right? And, you know, and uh, and I did kind of think I, I want to be. I don't mind being the guy behind the guy. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, that I makes like sense. that actually. Yeah. So how's Bell? You're still friends with Belzer? He's yeah. retired now, right? He's in France in Bozul. Oh, really? <laughs> the last place we anyone who knew Belzer in the old days, and I love him. He's <laughs> family got uncle bells my daughters grew up calling um last thing you'd think place you'd think bells would end up at not that he's ended up you know hopefully they'll come visit right him, but a chateau in the, in the south of in not south france but in, in france in near toulouse it's gorgeous stone i mean you know this is the guy going doing mick jagger on acid yeah bob, bob dylan yeah, the acting thing came along yeah yeah bob dylan's Bar Mitzvah tape, yeah. Yeah. And that was what the one thing by going to see him introduce people because we didn't have to see his act. He just never <laughs> changed his act. He's right. a lazy fucking guy. <laughs> um, you know, but he was the genius introducing people and being sure. funny right like that. Yeah. He never would work hard enough on his act, you know, but but he was so such a funny guy doing that. That mm -hmm. was really what he was great at. Yeah. Um, he's a very, very interesting guy. Yeah, a very interesting guy. And uh, I totally forget now where we. What the point <laughs> is. Oh, man. I was just I was just asking how Bel Belzer was doing. Oh yeah. Um. So you when you're like, who else was around when you were like hanging out? Well, with... that's the thing. Like 
we were talking about, um, I hear a joke, or you hear, you know, I'm sure you're the same when you say about the comic at the plays, at the clubs. And, and um, Chris Guest said, you know, we were in LA and he said, you got to meet Belzer. And put it together like a like a date, mm-hmm. like setting us up, because you know he said because we were we knew we'd make each other laugh. He knew right. we'd make, each other, and he but also he just thought Belzer was so, and he was. I mean, hilarious, hilarious. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, we met. You know, fell in love, and you know, in comedy love, and uh, did started strickling immediately, and it was great. <laughs> you know, that's great. So and I ended that... up writing a bunch of his HBO specials and co-starring on them with him. We did six of them, the Richard Belzer shows, and I played his manager, Tom Leopold. Oh and yeah, I was a writer, and I hired Larry Charles. Oh, from Seinfeld, from yeah. Seinfeld, way before Seinfeld. Sure, yeah, that's right awesome. On. Yeah, and I was on it. And we had all these guest stars, and you know, it took place to catch a rising star, and Belzer was the MC, and I mm-hmm. was the manager of, Bel- of the club and and Belzer's career, and. Uh, it was great, you know. Oh, that's yeah. I'll have to look for that. I, 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 let me know if you find it. Yeah, I will. Um. So is that so? Then is that where you met? Where you did you meet Larry David when you were hanging around? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I met Larry David. Because, um. So the, around, I'm doing it mostly. I'm writing, but I'm also going on. You know, still going back and forth on stuff I wrote. I would be acting, which was mm-hmm. my favorite way to act because I knew how to do it. Yeah, you know, it was more much more relaxing. My own stuff than, you know, my gun smoke, ma. I gotta get out of this town. <laughs> <laughs> my gun smoke episode was like based on Glassman, the Glass Menagerie, a really dominating mother, and I was a, a guy that worked at the bank, and my sister's beautiful sister, that one, and the mother was all, like, you know, neurotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weird Western part. This is my yeah. chance to be a Western, and I'm playing that guy. You know? <laughs> but it's a big part, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you were you were on the uh, show with Ted Knight too, right? You had a big part on. I, yeah. Oh, awful. I and mean, I can't find that anywhere. Fortunately, <laughs> I his son on six episodes, and then he did the show that he was on for a couple of years with. Right. How was Ted Knight? Great. Great. Right. Yeah. Great. He was really sweet. That's Very awesome. nice guy. Yeah. Uh, I really haven't. I've got very few stories of bad, disappointing stars. Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, yeah, really few, which is that, amazing, I guess. Since yeah, I that's good. So long. Yeah. So, so we jumped around a little bit, but the, the Larry David, you, that's how you met him. You were hanging out with at the club. Right. And... We, were, we met doing a show called Politically Incorrect. Way before Bill Maher did it. Oh, really? He just took over the name later. Yeah. And I forget who was on it, but, but Larry was on it, and we became friends. I thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, and so we became friends. And we, I mean, my wife and I set him up with a date. This is before, you know, he'd broken up with his, with his first wife, mm-hmm. before she was even his first wife. Should have told him. Should have told him something. But anyway, <laughs> what do I know? But, um, it's true. He proposed to his first wife because the plane was going through real turbulent weather. Oh, did he ever use it on the show? I don't remember from the time I was there. I don't. I don't think Not so. I was there, but yeah. anyway, anyway. But um, so I did know him, and then he did, and then 
he showed, remember one time he showed me this little film that he did. And here's the moment I realized, oh my God, I didn't really know who I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. In this little short film about a guy, just like him doing, going to a business meeting and then walking down the stairs. And while he's walking down the stairs, he's going, stop counting, stop counting, stop counting. He's like counting the stairs. He's mm-hmm. so neurotic. <laughs> and, I, and I forget what the rest of the whole thing was about. It wasn't about counting, but right. the fact that, that he was saying that to himself, I thought, oh, fuck. Yeah. It's really good. That one little, you know what I mean? It wasn't about, it didn't have anything to do with the plot or what was really going on. Exactly. Just, one moment he's going down the stairs, you see this really neurotic hit, <laughs> right? It's yeah. great. Yeah, it's really good. It's like a thing you kind of, and I thought, oh. So anyway, so he did this thing with Jerry, and it was called the Seinfeld Chronicles. Mm-hmm. It was just like a couple episodes, a few episodes, six maybe. And they were on, and I said, oh, man, this is so great. I thought, oh, this is too funny. They're not going to let, let them get away with this. Mm-hmm. And he's calling me, and he says, they picked it up for 13 shows. Would you come out and write on it? I said, sure. And I had to get out of this other thing I was doing, which was really bad. Yeah. <laughs> said, Hi, honey, I'm home. I'm not on Nickelodeon, but one of these things that's no longer even around. Right. Um. Anyway, so anyway, that's how it happened. I went out there and we did the first full. We're supposed to just do thirteen, and I said, mm-hmm. "Oh, my wife is pregnant with our first daughter, first child." But oh, great! Thirteen episodes, you know. Yeah. Back in work, whatever, and it just really when they changed the night, it went kind of through the roof. It blew up, yeah. Right, but you're in these building all that you don't really realize it. Mm. And it was only it was the first time I ever got a taste of what it must be like to be a celebrity. Because I went to a party and it's been on it be kind of had a buzz going. And I went to this party and the woman speaking of married with children, um I can't even remember her name. She played the wife. Oh, uh Katie Seagal. Yeah. Great, yeah. I said, I was at the party when I said, and I said, oh, I really enjoyed it. She said, oh, no, she can't be. I heard you write for Seinfeld. She comes over to me for me. I go, yeah, but she's Katie Segal. Right, <laughs> yeah. And she was all, I was like, you could tell she was like a little starstruck from it, and, you know, just reflected from the show, not me. Right. Um, and that's when I realized this, whole, this thing is yeah. surprising me it's because some... I, I, you know, I thought it was great, but you know that kiss, usually the kiss of death you know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. too good they're not gonna you know so what was the because the i've talked to like peter melman and some other people the writer's room on side yeah. oh really the writer's room is completely different from like a regular sitcom right it's really you're like you're you go to larry and jerry and pitch your idea and then would they they would write it out or would you no you'd write you write the script you know mm-hmm. you pitch the idea you knock it around with them and and uh, like for example um one of the ones i wrote that people like uh, is the cafe you know right they're yeah. a bad man right and that was all what larry liked is you bring him stuff that really happened to you that was funny mm-hmm. and you knew i knew enough to know then oh this is funny the, the, the dream cafe it was called and uh Babu Bot and all that, and the IQ test, and you put those two together. Right. One show, and I wrote the script, you know, and then they, you know, we all, then we tumble on it, you know, mm-hmm. this is what you know. And then Larry took it and put it his through, you know, his changes, and it was pretty much what it was. 
yeah so th- that was both of those the the cafe and both combined my life yeah i once uh we, we had there's a little cafe opened on the corner we lived in i've lived i had this rent controlled apartment in the best street in greenwich village for like 25 years and when i finally you know and i had it really kept me in show business which is my advice to young artists low overhead mm-hmm. I don't think about art but keep your overhead low I, right I can't tell you anything other than that. But um, one day, this little corner store opened up, and it was called the Dream Cafe. And it was like only four tables, <laughs> two of which he would put out at 6 o'clock in the front. So people walking by in the summer and mm-hmm. put candles out. And he wore a short sleeve Madras shirt. But at night, for the dinner service, he would button the top button, <laughs> which made it like that was his after six wear, you know? Yeah. <laughs> The haughty, the hot was clientele when they, the people came. You know, the high, the hoi polloi and the right. people came. <laughs> thought he felt he owed them that, um, but nobody went in. And the menu so extensive for this tiny place, you could see that it's just going to die so bad. <laughs> then I'm being, you know, twisted. You know, I, I kept just I can't go in because if I go in, nobody else is going in. If right. I go in. I can't walk by the building then. I'll have to always go in. My wife says, go go in. I said, no, I can't. If I go in, I won't be able, because I had to pass it, get to the apartment. Mm-hmm. So, But I could see that as it was dying, this poor, sad, dying thing, he kept changing the signs in the window, like free coffee and dessert. <laughs> yeah. well, just each thing sadder, like to death, you know. And as sad as it was, it was great, you know. And uh, who knows what the real story was, but it closed, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I expected him to have signs up. Five of my family died in the boat. <laughs> have pity. Oh, yeah. Somebody can, you know, I expected him to start speaking Yiddish. Mm-hmm. Ask for, for pity. Um, that's how bad it got. So anyway, that was one I thought was interesting. And and years ago, when I, when I was single and dating, a, you know, series of almost beautiful women <laughs> um this one woman i dated gave iq tests mm-hmm. and she wanted to give me one and i would never take it because i don't want to find out i was even stupider than i thought you know <laughs> i wouldn't do so well at school at all at all yeah I was with like, the guy who would eat your crayolas you know <laughs> this, girl, this girl behind me ate my what my paste i was put with people you know they were like Chained right. up in the workhouse at night. You know? <laughs> anyway, so that <laughs> so I like that, how you're going though. It's good. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, no, you're you're. I am enjoying it. Um, so then yeah, you're you're like pitching jokes on other people's scripts and stuff, but you're also credited with with the suicide, which is like the the first appearance of Newman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I wrote that one and uh yeah go ahead no and that's based on a true story too because in that apartment i spoke of my wife and i lived in there when we first married it's great Mm. because we could live like kings because the rent was like 200 dollars a month you know so we go to the test and have dinner and you know yeah so great so uh great rent control department um when i finally left i had been renting it to other people you you know we didn't live there anymore, but I would always keep it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
finally the landlord said, Mr. Leopold, you've been here 27 years. So I see your name on television. You, you, you know, it's rent control, you know, move out. Right. And I thought, you know, it was so lucky for me. I, I will, but I said, I want the bathtub because it had the feet on it. Mm. And I wrote so many, and I wrote my novels in that bathtub. You know, I wrote so I would write in the everything in the bathtub, like the Marquis de Sade, you know. Yeah. Bleeding. <laughs> but um so they said, okay, and they give me money, seven thousand, and we leave and the tub. And we put the tub in this house we had on out on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Kent house. And uh yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, well, that that oh so anyway, the suicide was well, my wife and I went away for Christmas and came back. And um, we started smelling this weird smell, like maybe a mouse died on the wall or something, you know, New York stuff, you know. Right. Typical thing. And it gets worse and worse. And finally, uh, I forget what, we had this neighbor and Phantom of the Opera had just come out. And this guy played the Phantom of the Opera Mm -hmm. all day long, all day long for days, right? of the operas and he was poor thing you hear him leave and he locked he he was crazy with the locking nine Uh locks and then three times then twice and then tap his head and that yeah anyway turns out he started to smell really bad and i go next to i knock on the door and the door starts slides open long story short he over christmas his wife had left him and he blew his brains out. Oh, jeez. And we're smelling my neighbor. Yeah. So I don't go, I go, I, I see this and I get hit with this smell. And uh, I get the super and we go in. And poor guy's on the, he's about a day away. As the cop told me later, he was a day away from exploding. Jesus. You, know, you don't want to explode, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe it's, you know, I'm getting to the age where I have to think about it. I want to be cremated, buried, or just explode. <laughs> explode. That's what I want to do. Right. You know, not big, you know? Um, yeah. So anyway, of course, me. And the truth is, because her apartment was rent controlled, after they buried him and everything, she moved back in. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not going to get a rent like that. No, yeah, yeah. you can't pass Your that. husband blew his brains out. Yeah, yeah. But still, <laughs> where are you going to get a deal like that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's funny. Yeah, it's really, yeah. And um, oh, and the Drake's cakes were part of the. Oh yeah. Thing. The great thing about working, one of the great things was you know, just having been associated with it. But you could put stuff in the show that you wanted, mm-hmm. like Pez. We, <laughs> that's how we found out that. We did the show about Pez, you know, yeah. one of the shows that we did, Larry Road. We all pitched on them. And then crates of Pez dispensers. Just <laughs> shit, you know? So we, somebody liked um, Drake's Cakes. We put that in. Crates of Drake's <laughs> Cakes. You know? So then we put that in the script. And that's what, you know, I forget. But no, the Drake's Cakes... We put in the script first, and then the Drake's cakes came mm-hmm. later. Running shoes, and just kind of just, right, just anything you wanted. Lots of became about what we needed. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, and the great thing about 
here's a great writing thing that great at this, but you know, the part of Newman was based on this guy that used to come over to Larry's apartment. And that apartment, before Larry ever did Seinfeld, I was in that apartment. And just like Kramer did live next door. Yeah. And he would just come in all the time. <laughs> oh, really? I wasn't, you know, he's, yeah, Kramer. Yeah. It's Larry's apartment. And um, anyway, so he wanted this Newman, who was another guy that he knew or something. And it's so funny that casting is so important and so mm -hmm. lucky and so an alchemy that you just you don't rarely get you know but when you hear the guy you know you read somebody all different people all day long it's kind of like and bang and, you know, and that was newman wayne knight mm -hmm. yeah part of newman and, and like there was newman you know yeah he just knew so it makes you look like you're brilliant right <laughs> you know yeah the part's funny but and the same with Babu Bhatt. He was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Englishman. Uh, he was hilarious. You know, so so um, then you start writing for the actor. Right. To play to their strengths. And yeah, you play yeah. right. Exactly. Like uh, when I was doing Cheers, um, they told me to start out. Kirstie Alley, may she rest in peace. For mm -hmm. Yeah. Very sad. Um they didn't really find her character until one episode she had a cry and she cried so funny mm -hmm. they started giving them their their character because she came in to replace uh, uh yeah yeah really long and um so yeah yeah that's my point there well play to play to actors strengths oh yes thank you thanks <laughs> uh in the news <laughs> so so did you report <laughs> it's a Mabry white paper. Exactly. Yeah. I got to work you a little on the name. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, did you, so you went right from Seinfeld to Cheers? Yes. And how is, yes. how, how are the two shows different? Well, Cheers, I loved Cheers. My, well, it was my favorite place to work. Mm -hmm. Just because you're in a room, really, we're in a room all day long with every with five, six, seven of the funniest people. Right. Then there would be other people out doing first drafts and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, when Seinfeld was great, but it was all very new too. So it was, you know, it's just kind of, you know, a little tiny, small operation that Larry and Jerry really, you know, brought forth. Right. Sure. Um, but Cheers was like the Rolls Royce company had been on for years, you know, and private chefs and, yeah, and they took all the writers out to Chasen's uh, before the season began. Mm -hmm. We each writer had to say something to the cast. Oh, really? Get up and make a toast and say something to the cast from the right. So I remember I, it was that we had just met the cast and we were about to start writing. Just really, just a big dinner to welcome the new writers or to welcome everybody back at Chasen's, mm -hmm. which is the you know, the tail end of old Hollywood, right? And I, I said, it, my thing, my toast was, is is it, um, is this the wrong venue to ask for a, a little more money? <laughs> I hadn't even started really started. Maybe That's this, a good line. Yeah, that was it. But um, I really enjoyed that because I met some guys that are still very close friends who were just hilarious, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 
but you're working for, you know, and you knew that with Cheers, same with Seinfeld, but you know, if you wrote a good joke, there's no way those actors weren't going to get the center of the bat, you know. Just really, oh, yeah. Yeah, hit it right. You know, you, you could just, and you knew too, because if they didn't get a laugh, it's on you. Right. They, they knew what they were doing by that point, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, that's, that's interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned Paul Schaefer. I'm drinking my own urine. I hope it's not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it looks delicious. From six to seven. I drink my <laughs> and it tastes pretty bad. I'll be <laughs> it smells bad too. But doctor's orders. So yeah. You mentioned Paul Schaefer. You tell me, tell me your opening joke. My opening joke? Yeah. <laughs> I need to stand up. I go, uh, I uh let's get this out of the way. I don't smoke weed. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I saw you. I saw that line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You up a lot. yeah, you're great. You're oh, funny. thank you so much. Very good, very good attitude up there. Oh, good, thank you. Good, good character. Good. Thank you. I appreciate you're that. You're doing great. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see see what you did. And um, I want you to leave the business. <laughs> it's over. It's over. All right. Uh, just, you're great. Well, thank All you. Right. Back to me. Let's bring it back. All right. <laughs> You mentioned Paul. You're hanging out with Paul Schaefer. You yeah. you wrote a with him a special. Viva yeah. Schaefer Vegas. Vegas. Oh boy, that was fun. Jesus. Uh, well, Letterman was so hot at the time. Yeah, I'm a big Letterman guy too. So. Yeah, me too. Dave's yeah. great. Written for him too. Um, and Paul had been my best friend way before he ever did Letterman. You know. Yeah, so Jim. So, you, how'd you meet him through like the lampoon and stuff? Through the the the, uh, the network. Yeah, uh, I I met him at uh, in L.A. and he came up to me and rather insulted me and because there was this uh, at the time we were into just Jerry Lewis and how smarmy and, <laughs> and Sinatra and the Rat Pack, but also in love with that stuff too. Right, loving it, but also. Knowing on one hand, but still wanting, you know, that stuff that made us at 12, 13, these were our heroes, you know. Yeah. If I ever thought I'd be writing with Jer for Jerry Lewis or or meeting, lunching with Jerry Lewis or Jonathan Winters or all these heroes of mine. Yeah. You know, a great, I have a great Jonathan Winters story who was really, I guess, made my all-time favorite. But Oh, I'd love to hear that, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what were we going for? Do we, can we want to hear that now? Sure. Well, yeah, I was just asking about the the special you did with with Paul Schaefer. Oh, oh, let me tell you that one. That's a good. Yeah. One. Um, we we Harry Shearer, who part of Spinal Tap, and Harry and I were written wrote so many different things together. Yeah, I'd be on the radio show all the time. Yeah, Le Show. Yeah, Le Show. Right, many hundreds of times, and uh, so Paul wanted me and Harry and him to write the script, and we came up with this idea. Called Viva Shave Vegas, Paul Shave, and it was all about how it was basically Paul and my our, my real life too. Like we were both had been bachelors for a long time, and mm -hmm. you know, like to chase the gals, you know, and whatever. And um, so the whole plot was: should he marry his girlfriend now that he's big and famous? Hope Crosby—that was the name we gave the his girlfriend, Hope Crosby—and <laughs> she said, "You know, you don't care about me. You just love my name," you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> they said, they go, well, you know, yeah. But, uh, and should he get married? She gives him an ultimatum. And he goes, he's been offered to do a Vegas show with topless dancers and stuff. I mean, you should see it. It's pretty. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Way ahead of its time, I think. And I play his, I play Tom Leopold at the pool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't remember, but when he's, the girlfriend is giving him shit, she goes, uh, okay, Paul, go to go to Vegas and, and sleep with a stripper. And because you don't want a life, you don't want a family. You don't want, what, let William Morris give you a 10 pound baby bouncing nothing. <laughs> Paul, goes, Paul goes, honey, is that what this is all about? I'm not even with the Morris agency. <laughs> So then he goes out to Vegas and we've got Gene Pitney, who was one of our childhood heroes. Mm-hmm. He's a big singing star. And he did a song called Town Without Pity. And we wrote a song, Viva She Vegas, Wah! you know, all that kind of 1960 stuff. Yeah, where do you run to? Where are you running to? Viva She Vegas. <laughs> With lines like you see, a leggy blonde playing Keno. With it come Heather, look in her eye. Her old man blew his brains out in Reno. <laughs> Who you deal yourself in or pass by. Ah, viva She Vegas. M- buffets at midnight. Starlight and Viva She Vegas. You know, but <laughs> he could be singing. I have the sheet music signed to. But anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's why this business, I've been so lucky. I, I love Gene Pitney. And I ended up writing a stupid song that he sang you know right and uh but anyway and i and you see me and i'm he, paul doesn't know what to, he gets to vegas and it's dawn and he just walks out by the pool and i'm the pool is completely empty except for me tom leopold screenwriter and i'm in a white robe my sunglasses and i'm just reading the new york times with my coffees he goes tommy tommy leopold I'm, my chef what are you doing here tom i got a big problem i said let me get you a robe and some coffees no no I'm, i don't want anyone okay okay so the he goes, Tom, what am I going to do? Do I marry Hope? Or I, I go, I don't know, Paul. You know, I'm a screenwriter. I don't know that much about life. But I know a guy. We should, he's the guru. He'll tell you what to do. Sam Butera. Now, Sam Butera used to be the sax player for Louis Prima. And he was playing one, in an unenclosed lounge. Tell me if I'm getting into, into the weeds here. No, no. Yeah. So we got to, he goes to see Sam Butera. You know, should I... Mary, he goes, Paul, I don't know. I go, Paul, this is the guru, the Sam Butera. And he really had a great jazz player. And he goes, should I marry? And he goes, Paul, let me ask you something. Are you regular? And and Paul looks at me and goes, why are you asking me if I'm regular for? You know? (laughs) It's his only advice. Excuse me, I spit on myself. I laugh so (laughs) Are you regular? Yeah, I'm regular. But what is that going to help me? You know, anyway, that's kind of a nutshell, the kind of stuff we were doing. And all that's these celebrities funny. were on it, Red Fox. And oh, wow. Red... Shit. A great Red Fox story. Oh, I'd love to hear it. I love Red Fox. We did this thing. Paul gets married on stage with all these topless showgirls. I mean, we get to Vegas. This is just going back a little bit. We get to Vegas and we were, you know, I'm executive producing Paul Schaefer. Harry, Harry's directing. I wrote, and, you know, and I first day on the set, I go out and there's ten, like ten girls, topless, star showgirls, and Paul likes to bring, remind me of this fact that I had just gotten monogamous with my future wife, 
mm-hmm. like a few days before. And then I fly and I mean, my wife knows the story. Right. But, and then I fly to Vegas and there's all the competition. And one of the showgirls kept calling because I'm the executive producer, mm-hmm. calling my room. You know, <laughs> none of this would happen if I wasn't right. doing the show or anything. You know, and and I could have, you know, I, Paul says, you didn't wait three a week to get monogamous. <laughs> I said, I know. No, 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 yeah. It's monogamous. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Capone, let me come into your room and give you a massage. No, that's all right. <laughs> or Brie or whatever. <laughs> whatever. You know, but she plays a girl in there. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, so it was, we had so much fun. We yeah. Had it over Christmas and, so the red, you're going to tell a red fox story. Oh yeah, so Paul ends up doing his show, and it's really funny. His show we put together, and uh, he has two guys in it, Carlo and Carlos, who I remember from a kid from seeing a variety show. There was just two guys wearing gold, like speedos, all bodies covered in gold, both of them, and they were just doing things where one brother would hold the other brother up like this. And then, you know, they poses and stuff. It was this kind of entertainment I had to watch when I was a kid. Like on the Ed Sullivan show, these right. weird acts that we, I love, you know. And we always go looking for it. But so we had these two guys, Carlo and Carlos. And one, you told them apart because when on stage, one was more gold. But when they went out, the other one wore more gold pink on the whole body. <laughs> anyway, you have to see it. It's, a, it's funny, but... Um, so anyway, at the end of it, Paul's girlfriend comes and they end up getting married on stage in front of, and uh, Robert Goulet is best man or whatever, or I'm mm-hmm. not, whatever. And uh, and then the part comes where, does anybody, Harry played Rabbi Shlomo Lop. And Harry <laughs> impersonated this rabbi that was so great with the whole thing, man, the payas and the big hat. Mm-hmm. Paula, Polly is afraid like a hasana. He's very full. You know, uh, <laughs> Hasidic stuff in Vegas, and there's topless showgirls standing there and stuff. And this is an Orthodox rabbi. And, uh, oh, man. And um, anyway, Red Fox, does anybody protest this wedding? You know, whatever that line is, people say, mm-hmm. I do. Red <laughs> Fox. And Red Fox stands up and get out of here, Red, you know, whatever. All right. So we shot the thing. And, uh, and then later in the day, there's a call, Tom. Red Fox is on the phone. He wants to talk to you. you know, I kind of handled Red when he got there. Right. And I go, really? Yeah. But this possibly payment problem. So I go, hey, Red, man, you were great. Ah, thanks, Tom. You know, he's listen. Did anybody find a keychain that I lost there? I go, what? Oh, it's kind of, well, it wasn't really a keychain. It was a little bottle on the end of it. So basically, Red had lost, dropped his coke. Yeah, <laughs> on, the, on the floor, the audience is doing his bit. He's calling. <laughs> I said, "Gee, no, Fred, but Fred, uh, Red, Fred, Sam, Sam, but I'll let you know." Meanwhile, you know, me and everybody else just running to look for, for Red. Coke, <laughs> you know, it's got to be great, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's my Red Fox story. That's, that's very funny. Yeah. Did you ever hear this the story that Bob Einstein was was working on Red Fox's variety show? 
Yeah. And uh, he came out of the dressing Red Fox came out of the dressing room to, one time. He had a bunch of uh, white stuff on his nose. And, and Bob goes, you got some you got some stuff on your nose there. And Red goes, ah, it's those damn powdered donuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, here he was like 65. You know? Right. Yeah. Doing blows. <laughs> Dan, he had a hard life. He was a great, funny guy. Yeah, very funny. Real innovator. His comedy albums were really famous. Oh, yeah. Under the counter, you know? Yeah. You got to wash your ass was one. And it's just yeah, yeah. his tail up, sniffing the donkey's ass. Yeah. <laughs> party records back then. Party records. And you couldn't get them. You had to like, you, know, you had to get them kind of in the black market and stuff. I know, black, yeah. Black. They were uh, a whole kind of subculture of. Yeah, I love Red Fox. He's great. Bruce, you know? Yeah, Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of great guys. Um, so oh, the Jonathan Winter story. Let's let's hear oh. that. One. Well, the way you felt about Dave, Dave, Dave Letterman is how I felt about Steve Allen when I was mm -hmm. going. Steve Allen was one of my heroes, and yeah, I know you know, young people sound like the old, I am the old guy, but you know, you guys, it took, he was great. He was really really funny, and he had a great. Don Knotts and people yeah, put around. Yeah, uh, Tom Post and yeah. Yeah, and he was the wittiest, fastest, smartest guy. I adored him, you know. And um, then I get a chance, I get hired to write. He gets six shows. It sounds like I used to parody these old comedy writers. We used to do a fifteen-minute show on the <laughs> Two Mark Network. Change <laughs> nice. You couldn't build an audience, you know. Right. <laughs> mind if I smoke? I got emphysema. I didn't relax. <laughs> Anyway, but um, so we're doing six shows, and I was hired to write. Catherine O'Hara was hired to write. Oh, really? After I met Catherine, and he ended up putting us on our, his shows because we both started writing bits that we performed for him, and he put us on and was on big parts on all of the shows too. I played Tom Leopold, comedy writer. Uh, we got your email, I, you know, I could I could find it. It's one of the Steve Allen shows. Oh, and, yeah. And I'm typing here, but talking to the camera over here the whole time. I'm writing a sketch for, for Steve right now. That's pretty good. And uh, <laughs> I'm just, my fingers are moving on the typewriter. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it made a mistake. Anyway, but uh, so Catherine Harris. So anyway, I'll tell you how much, we're running out of time. So I'll just tell you, I mean, I don't want to keep you. But um, <laughs> um, the first day on this, I met, actually started working with Steve Allen. This is a pretty, I, 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 I think of it now and I go, where did I get the balls to do this or stupid thought to do this? But mm -hmm. he was really tall. He was like 6'4", you know, I'm 5'10". I'm standing next to him and we're, we're filming out on location at a movie theater, a sketch I wrote. And I'm standing with Steve Allen. And I, I'm like, you know, it would be like you, you know, working with Letterman, you know. Right. You know, and, and I'm standing next to him and I hardly know him. I've just been really met him. And I'm just loved, I had so much love for him. And I'm so excited, you know. He had a round band-aid on his neck, like from a pimple or maybe where he cut himself or something. Mm -hmm. Round band-aid. And I don't know what possessed me, but I just reached up, up up here and I just put my finger on the band-aid, right on his neck, and held it there. And I said, uh, Jane, hold all of my calls. Have Fritz bring the car around and call the barbershop. Tell him I'll be down there. And <laughs> And I want the shoes done. I want, you know, it's left it there a really long time. Mm -hmm. and, did and he laughed his ass off. And 
took me to his house. He ended up inviting me over for dinner. You know, this is my hero, right? right? Anyway, because I could have been fired too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I love it. Wasn't that of anything but just wanting to connect, you know? Right. I don't think I would have done it now, even. But anyway, <laughs> the Jonathan Winters story is a really sweet story. He knew I idolized Jonathan Winters too. And Jonathan came and did the show. And he says, Look, just stay with him the whole day because he'll wander away. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a great genius, angel, genius, funny, crazy thing. You know, John Winters ended up actually did time in a mental institution. Mm-hmm. Just if you've ever seen him, I know you must know him, but check him out. Everybody else. Uh, anyway, so I had to speak with Jonathan all day. I loved it. It was just work. He couldn't stop doing bits, you know, like Robin Williams, but to me, the original, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then lunchtime came. He says, Tommy, let's go to lunch. Let's go to Musso's. So John the Winters gets in my shitty Volkswagen. We go to Musso and Frank's, the great grill, the great old Hollywood grill there from 1914 or something. Mm-hmm. And he's just, just working for me. He's doing the whole, he's just nonstop different characters for me. And I, I'm thinking, my, I'm 25, you know. 10 years ago, before that, I was sitting on the carpet in front of the hi-fi, listening to his comedy record. Right. Now every word yeah so anyway we we and i know it's getting late just one we gotta go back you know gotta shoot your thing so we go back and on the driving back he goes and tell me about you tell me he's asked me one question the whole time tell me about your family i said well my family one of four boys i grew up in miami and right now my older brother's in the hospital he has hodgkin's disease and he's really let's call him so we get back to the studio and the woman's out there waiting with the clipboard, telling them, you gotta go right to make it. No, no, wait, hold on. We go into his dressing room, we call Miami Beach, Mount Sinai Hospital. And uh, I get my brother on the phone, he's in the hospital with cancer. And both my brother and I knew every word of his records. We would just sit up with our ear against this hi-fi, big old monstrous piece of furniture, mm-hmm. listen to Jonathan Winter's records, and, or all comedy records. And he gets on and I, hey, Mark, um, Friend of mine wants to talk to you, Coach. Give me some name. Hi, Mark. How are you? This is Coach Wilson. This boy, get out there again. This rub dirt on his son. Get back out on the. You know, they did like ten minutes for my brother. Wow. And, uh, finally, they pulled him away. And but that's my beautiful Jonathan Winter story. Yeah, that's a great story. God bless him. Yeah, it was yeah. A beautiful story. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 That's well, I. Uh... I uh, don't want to take it up too much of your time, but I'd love to talk about the the musical you, your recent musical that you wrote with Richard Kind. Oh, oh wow, man! Thanks for even knowing about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm so proud of it. We're going to do it at the Triad Theater in um, January. We start up again. Oh, and nice! Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely yeah, come see do, it. Uh, Richard Kind did it, and Jackie Hoffman. These two great, hilarious people. It's called Kip and Sylvia Tonight on D Deck. And it's about the Glasscocks, Kip and Sylvia Glasscock, a husband and wife songwriting team who just hate each other and are horrible, <laughs> horrible people. And I wrote the songs. The songs are good, I think. And it's just about they're, they've reunited to perform on the shitty cruise liner that was the old Concordia. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but the Concordia was an Italian cruise liner that crashed, that the captain put, went and had a smoke and the whole cruise liner went into a rock. <laughs> 500 people died. He went to jail. Well, <laughs> I can hear the cop, you hear the 
hello, this is your captain. It's wonderful to be out of jail. Uh, <laughs> moment to pause for the loss of life. Okay, now I'm with the show. Kippy and Sylvia, and Kippy and Sylvia talk about their lives and what was behind each one of these songs, like Fat Lady at the Dance and different things. And they're just vile, horrible people. <laughs> like finding, we keep hitting this vodka while he's not looking and getting kind of really belligerent. <laughs> and it's, it's, and Richard Kind and Jackie Hoffman were so great. And we're going to do it up in um, January, starting January 16th at the Triad Theater in New York, unless we have to move it, because we have to get a, a new cast in. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we think we have them because Richard's doing a series. Yeah, but uh, people are eager to do it. So, and I'm thrilled. It sort of caught on, and uh, yeah, keep it Yeah, that's great. I, I'd love to come see it. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, you got to come see it. Stay yeah, in touch. I, I would definitely you. will. I want to come see you do your act. Oh yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, definitely. All right, that'd be I, awesome. I keep rooms at the city. We keep rooms. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah. I'll last question. We'll wrap on the up on this. Um, be good. <laughs> what's the best piece of advice you'd give so, to someone that's just starting out in comedy yeah or writing or showbiz or... just showbiz in general for comedy yeah um make sure you think it's funny mm -hmm. not what you think they're gonna like right um it's really got to make you laugh yeah, exactly. Really. Yeah. Because let's say you got to do it it's successful and you have to keep doing it. That's the only way you'll, that's the only well you'll, you'll know how to go to that well. Mm -hmm. Right. And also, it, it, that's a big only chance for really having a voice. I don't know. I'm not the only chance, but, you know, building your voice for yourself. And uh, uh, because none of us are so original that if we really think it's funny, there won't be a lot of other people who think it's funny. We're not right. wonderfully, you know, you know, special. That's what's great. That's a great thing to know. So better to go down with stuff you really think is funny because ultimately it probably is. And it might just be different. And that, and also, you know, it might take a while, mm -hmm. but also, if you stay with what you really makes you laugh that you think of, and you, that's when you'll start finding your character on stage. Yeah. And you gotta have a, I don't say you have to be different than you are, but you know, the version of yourself, it's really, they wanna know who that person is, what your character is, you know? Right. Not your character, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I get it, yeah. Who's sort of the guy behind the shovel, you know? And if exactly. you stay with just your, what really makes you laugh, you know, that's what Norm McDonald. Oh, Norm. Like. Yeah. Norm's my yeah, favorite. He didn't put a damn if he bombed. Yeah. You know? He probably enjoyed it. You know? <laughs> I think he did. Yeah. But yeah. He's my all time favorite. No, um, I, I really only really got into him after he passed. I worked with oh, him. Oh, really? Thing, but I, I, now I could kick myself because I mean, I realized what. Where'd you work with him? Dave Letterman, I wrote all, I used to write on all the, the Mark Twain Awards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Washington Kennedy Center, honoring different famous funny people, you know. And the year we did Dave Letterman, uh, Norm came and yeah. honored him with, a, with some jokes, you know. And um, I now remember sitting there watching him really be in pain. I don't mm. know, maybe 
his back out or something. Because I had to go, I was writing, and I was, uh, Norm, I said, it's absurd, but I'm here, I'm a writer, not that you need me, man. Yeah. And he did, and it was great, and it was lovely. But um, why we talk about Norman? I forgot. Uh, you oh, he, he's you just said he knew his voice and. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have gotten so high before the call. <laughs> I've enjoyed it, but um, yeah. So I mean, you know, talk about it. There's there's someone to emulate. I mean, if you already love him, you know, you know that it was stuff that he really thought was funny. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and was funny. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I I, I think that's good advice. Yeah, it's a great advice. Well, I'll have to, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. I'll have to have you on again. Anytime. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Trent. (laughs) Thank you. Just say, and that's all for tonight. I'm Trent Mabry. I'm Trent Mabry, and that's all for tonight. There you go, buddy. Very good. That's (laughs) it. That's your hook. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. (laughs) But I don't know what to do with those toss salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? Mabry has left the building.